grave is empty. We'll take your Bibles, if you would, and let's turn to the book of 1 Corinthians. That's where we're going to begin this morning and uh, with a message. I just have to tell you, how many of you, when you heard that first signal, thought it was your cell phone going off? I wonder if I kind of I had that moment, and I even saw it in the first service. I was like, is that me? And, uh, but I just want to tell you, it did remind me as I was watching all of that, we have a new app, a church app. Uh, that I advertised last week to you. It's free. The reason that I encourage you to download the app, it's Android, uh, Google, whatever, and iPhone. You can get that. Is that you can, uh, it's just so much easier than going to a website. But if you go to any of that and look up Westside Baptist Gainesville, Florida, WBC Gainesville, you'll find it. There's some other Westside Baptist Churches, make sure you get ours, the one in Gainesville. But I encourage you to do that app. You can watch the messages. And this message today, I really began last week talking about the Son of Man. Um, but you can look at messages. You can uh, sign up for stuff. You can give. It's a, it's a great way to give. And so check out that app. And so take your phone, your iPad, your Bible, one out of the pew, whatever you have uh, to turn to 1 Corinthians, and then we're going to look uh, in verse, we're going to look chapter 15, then we're going to look at the book of Daniel, and we're going we're to talk about Jesus this morning. You know, there's a lot of pressure on preachers when it comes to Easter, you know, because everybody kind of comes back and goes to church. Uh, most weeks we have a, a, a portion of people that are out, but on Easter, just about everybody is here, and we're so grateful that you're here, but the pressure on me is intense, <laughs> because I've got so much I want to tell you. I mean, there's lots of stuff about what we're doing as a church. I'd love to talk about marriage and family. I'm going to do a series on that in a couple of weeks. And uh, going to do, uh, uh, I'd love to talk to you about some of the things that are going on. But I have to hone it down. I don't have much time. So I only, I only get to talk to everybody together on Easter Sunday. And, and we, we have to hone in on something. And I was reminded of this passage of Scripture, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Paul is talking to the church at Corinth, and he's, he's just given them a lot of things that, that they're dealing with in their church. But in chapter 15, verse 3, look what he says. For I have delivered to you as of first importance, as of first importance, what I also received. And here's what is the message of Easter. This is the message of Christianity. This is the gospel. This is what Paul, the, the, uh, the whole message around which everything else was built was this. He says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. In other words, the scriptures, the Old Testament scriptures said there is going to be a Messiah. He's going to come and he will die. And, and really, we can see now back where the scriptures said that the Messiah would come and give his life uh, as a ransom for many. And he did. And he says he was the fulfillment of scripture. He died, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day. This is of first importance. So if you walk away with anything today, you need to walk away with this truth. Jesus died for your sin. And he validated that his death was sufficient and that you can have eternal life through Christ. He validated it 
through his resurrection. And Paul the apostle said, and here's what I'm going to tell you. If you're not believing me, listen to this list of witnesses. He appeared, verse 5, to Cephas, another name for Peter, the apostle Peter, and then to the twelve. And then he appeared to me more than 500, uh, appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive. Go ask one. Though some have fallen asleep, And then he appeared to James, and then to all of the other apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me. So Paul the apostle gives evidence, evidence of the resurrection. And he says, this is of primary importance, so that you know you can have life. So that you know you can have a relationship with the God who created you. The resurrection is basically proof of life for Jesus. That is absolutely critical. You know, if if you're an insurance company or you're a company that pays out a retirement annuity to somebody and that person moves to Argentina or moves to Brazil or moves somewhere off some other place, you know what they do? They don't just send you checks until they get a letter from you saying, stop, I'm dead, right? They actually send out a letter every so often to get back a certificate of life, proof that you're not just a mailbox or a relative cashing their checks. They want proof of life so that they know that what they're giving is meaningful and they're giving what is right. Have you ever wondered, is following Christ worth it? Is following Christ a good thing to do? Can I tell you he's given us proof of life? You can keep following Jesus. The resurrection is the linchpin that holds all of the gospel together. The cross is the essence of the gospel, but without the resurrection, the proof, we would have no certainty that the crucifixion, his death for you and me, has any meaning. And so Paul says of first importance, he died, he rose from the dead, and he is coming back. There's a new movie out called The Case for Christ. I'm just taking a a quick poll. Has anybody seen The Case for Christ? Just a few of you? Okay, a couple of you. Uh, It's still in the theaters, recommended. I haven't seen it yet, but I know the book is great. And it is about the life of Lee Strobel. And I, it's a great book. If you have questions about the resurrection or Christ, he's got one called The Case for Resurrection. Um, but this movie is in theaters, and it describes Lee Strobel, who was a, an avowed atheist, has a law degree from Yale, became a reporter for the Chicago Tribune, and then his wife became a Christian. This really rocked his world, and so he set out to do what a good lawyer journalist would do, was to find proof that she was wrong. Uh, By the way, guys, never do that with your wife. I'm just saying, no matter what, not a good policy. But anyway, he decided, I'm going to find proof. He thought it would take a weekend or two. Two years later, he came to faith in Christ, and he writes this. He said, the evidence for the resurrection was so overwhelming It took more faith for me to stay an atheist than to become a Christian. Hank Hanegraaff says, You see, without resurrection there is no hope. Indeed, without resurrection there is no Christianity. Josh McDowell, who had a similar path, a lawyer who was seeking to disprove Christianity and came to Christ, he said, After more than 700 hours 
of studying this subject and thoroughly investigating its foundation, I have come to the conclusion that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is one of the most wicked, vicious, heartless hoaxes ever foisted upon the minds of man or is the most fantastic fact of history. It's proof of life. It's proof of life. It's also proof of everything that Jesus claimed. Every title that Jesus took for himself. Every uh, thing that he said would happen in the future. And I want us to dial in on that so that you can walk out with a few things you can know and a few things you must do. A few things you can know because he's alive and a few things because he's alive, a few things you must do. And we're going to see that back where we kind of ended our previous sermon series in the book of Daniel. And in the book of Daniel chapter 7, if you'll turn back there with me, is a vision. Daniel was a prophet and God gave him this vision of the future. In the first few verses of this chapter, it is a panoramic vision of the empires of the world. And he just said, here's what it looks like to me, Daniel. He says, I keep spilling my water up here, I'm sorry. Uh, um, but he keeps, he, he says, look, they, they're like wild beasts. Babylon, Persia, uh, Greece, Rome. And then the final beast, right before these, he's just saying, this is what it looks like to me, Daniel. The world has gone wild. Can you all agree with that? It is a crazy place. It is a crazy place. There's, there's genocide. There's um, all sorts of, uh, of atrocities that you and I can just dial, turn on the television and see at any moment. Mankind is basically remaking God's natural order of things. There's war after war. I've been uh, watching when I can a little bit of this uh, PBS uh, documentary of World War One. Those, those fascinate me. But uh, they titled that war, The War to End All Wars. Boy, were they wrong. They figured it couldn't get any crazier or worse than World War One, Until, of course, they had World War Two, And now we have war just about everywhere. We never know where it's going to strike, do we? We are in a world gone wild. And that's basically the picture of the first uh, seven, eight verses of Daniel chapter 7. But into this craziness, into the sinfulness and rebelliousness and brokenness of humanity comes an incredible vision. And it is a vision of the Son of Man. And the Son of Man comes into the very presence of God. Now, why would I turn to such a strange passage on Easter Sunday? Here's why. Of all the things Jesus said about himself, he referred, his favorite title in referring to himself was Son of Man. Now, why would he choose that title? Two reasons. It's not because he wasn't the Son of God. In fact, he... He claims that in other places. But the reason that his favorite title, some 70, 80 times, he referred to himself as the Son of Man, two reasons. The first is, God the Son became flesh. He was born of a virgin. He was born 
into full humanity. He, didn't, he doesn't want us to forget that he knows what we're going through. He's experienced real human life. He's one of us. It's absolutely critical that he's one of us too. Because what he's going to do is he's going to be a substitute. He's going to take our place. When we vote in representatives to go to the state congress or to go to... We vote in... Do we vote in... Uh, we vote in human beings, right? I mean, I can't send Chloe my dog, right? I mean, she could represent dogs. She can't represent me. I need to send a human being. That representative stands in our place and is our advocate. And so he said, I'm a son of man. I'm not just totally divine, fully God. I'm also fully human. Because I'm going to step into David Chauncey's place and I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to take his sin because he can't handle his own sin. The wages of his sin is death and so I'm going to take the death for him. And I'm going to do that for all the other people listening to him on Easter Sunday. I'm going to, take, I'm going to become a son of man. But there's a second reason. Is that that was a title that all of his Jewish friends and the high priests and all of the folks would have associated with the Messiah, with the, the one who would come, the Christ who would come and deliver his people. So he was making a bold claim every time he connected himself with the Son of Man. And you know what chapter in the Bible is where he got that from? Where it's most focused is right here in Daniel chapter 7. So let's look at it for a moment, and you're going to see three things that are completely certain. These are things you can just know. You can bank on these things because, listen... He claimed to be the Son of Man. The Son of Man originates right here out of this vision. And if he is the Son of Man, then that vision is true. And the things we see in that, we can bank on. We can know they're true. Because he's alive. Look at verse 9. He says, And as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. Now, the Ancient of Days is a reference to God the Father. And it's just talking about His holiness, His eternal nature, His purity, and He sets on a throne. And what kind of throne is this? Well, this is a symbolic language to help understand what's happening right here. This is a throne uh, of judgment. Now, how do we know that? Well, look, look at it. It says, His clothing was white as snow, His hair of His head like pure wool, His throne was of... Uh, fiery flames, its wheels with burning fire. Anytime you see the fire and you see the holiness of God, this is talking about His judgment. And you're like, well, God is love. Well, God is love. But if I'm ultimately loving, I also, because I'm loving, I have to be just. I have to be ultimately completely just. I mean, I get accused of that at home. If I, don't, if, I'm not, if I don't give the same thing to all my kids, they accuse me of injustice. That's not fair. You love him more because you weren't fair. How many of you parents have ever experienced that? Just tell me you have. I feel better now. Thank you. 
God loves his creation. He loves you. And we have broken this world. And we've set ourselves apart from God through our sin. And because he perfectly loves us, he loves us. He must be perfectly just. And all sin has a a wage, a penalty, a price to be paid. And we see it right here. There's a throne of judgment. And because Jesus was who he said he was, there is a throne of judgment that is for certain. That is for certain. And a stream of fire issued and came from before him, and thousands of thousands served him, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. And the books represent the record of our lives, the record of your thoughts, your words, and your deeds. And you think, I really don't want that exposed. (laughs) I really don't. I'm really hoping nobody knows all of that. How many would love to have the dash cam of your life put up here behind me? You know, now we videotape everything. People driving around with dash cams. I mean, you, you do anything, somebody's got it on film. Well, that's nothing new. God in his omniscience, his omnipotence, he's got the books. and The books are open. And you say, well, you know, I've got a lot of good things in that book. Yeah, the problem is there's sin in that book. There's rebellion against God. And God is love. But God is just. And when he looks, and this is kind of a contrast between this crazy world that's rebelled against God and has lost its, its beauty and its humanity. It's, you see, you see, uh, Bits and pieces of it and flashes of what we can be. But for the most part, we see this continuum of, of, of death and destruction. But into this throne of judgment, we see grace. We're going to see it in just a second. When Jesus looked at the mess of our lives... And the sin and the brokenness. And you say, I'm not that bad. It's it's those other folks. There are degrees. But sin is sin. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 20, 28. He said, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to give his life a ransom for many. A ransom for many. So the Son of Man came to this this desperate need that we have. And he said, I will pay the price. You see, that's the second thing we can know. Look at verse, uh, verse 13. We can know that the price Jesus paid for our sin is sufficient. Because he's alive. Look what he's going to be able to do. Verse 13. Of Daniel chapter 7. I saw in the night visions and behold. With the clouds of heaven there came one. Like a, like a what? A son of man. One like one of us. He's coming up. Now if it says all have sinned. And all uh, must pay the price for their sin. How, notice what he's able to do. The son of man comes. 
And he comes before the Ancient of Days. There's the fiery throne and there's the judgment that is there. He comes and he is presented before him. And if that had been you or me, if we had come apart from Christ, if we had come with our record book and the dash cam of our lives, if we had come before God, we would have had to pay the penalty for that sin because God is also just. And notice he comes in and there's no penalty paid. He has Direct, he has several things here you want to see. He has instant access into the very throne room of God. So this Son of Man has done something different. Jesus was made in every way as us, and yet he never sinned. Aren't you glad? He never sinned. So he has access to the throne of God, but notice the authority he is given. Verse 14. And to him, the Son of Man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away. And his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. And so he comes in. Here comes the Son of Man, one like us. He's given access. He comes in and, uh, and he is received by the heavenly father. And then he is given incredible authority. Let me read to you a few scriptures about what his resurrection means. That he is alive. Let me read what Hebrews 2 says. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus partook of the same things. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil... And deliver those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Listen to Colossians 2. Verse 13. And you who were dead in your trespasses and sins. God made alive together with Jesus. Having forgiven us all of our trespasses. How did you do that? By canceling the record of debt. The guilt of the books. The dash cam evidence. He said he canceled the record of that debt and that stood against all of us with its legal demands. This he set aside and he nailed it to the cross. And destroyed it. And he disarmed the ruler's and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Now, follow me on this. So what you have in, in this Daniel 7 is a picture of a, of a parade, basically. That would have been something they would have seen when a general returned from uh, a war. And the general, the mighty general, would come back into the city. And they would plan this out. And he would come back, and it'd be like one of these ticker tape parades in New York City. People would be all lining the streets and cheering him as he comes in. And behind him would be this parade of spoils, all that he had won in his warfare. And so he comes in, and to the presence of God, he's received, and he's given the kingdom. A kingdom that will last forever. And we have been uh, forgiven because he's alive. Because he's alive. The Son of Man 
was received by the Father. The price he paid was sufficient. There's two significant moments in history where this is going to occur in a big way. The first was after the crucifixion. Some point in that process, Jesus came before the Father as, as our sacrifice. We sang about it, the Lamb of God. He basically came and he said, I am offering my blood, my life, for all of those who will believe in me and trust in me. And he was received. And he now is seated. Hebrews says that after making uh, forgiveness for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. He was given that authority. That's who the Son of Man is. And he proved that he is there at the throne room of God by resurrecting from the day, from the dead. And that's what saying happy Easter means to me. It's not because it's a, a holiday with bunnies. It's because it means one like me, fully human, is able to reside in the very throne room of God and he himself is God and he is there as my advocate and my representative and I can only uh, know my creator and be restored into relationship with God I can only find life because of Jesus and because he's alive that's what I mean by happy Easter and it makes me happy every day that he's alive he has access he has authority and here's his achievement. His achievement is seen in verse 27 of Daniel 7. He doesn't come alone. You see, the first time he goes is at, when he ascends to the Father, you know, after the, after the crucifixion, resurrection, that time. But then he's going to return. He's going to come back and there will be a, a kingdom. If you want to know more about that, I'm going to be teaching on that some uh, in the future here. But there's going to be a second coming. And we'll be part of that kingdom. Look what he says in verse 27. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people. The people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominions shall serve and obey Him. Are you one of those people? You can be one of those people. You can be. Those are three things I want you to know. The first one is, is that there is a judgment, and it's certain. There is a price that has been paid by Jesus, and it is sufficient if you will receive it. And the third thing that we see is he is coming again. The king will return. You can bank on it. In fact, let me read this passage. Matthew 24, verse 39. Jesus is talking about the end times. The second coming. Notice what he says. And the title he refers to himself as. He says, immediately 
after the tribulation, this is Matthew 24, 29, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened, the moon will give its light, will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man. In other words, you remember what it said in Daniel about the Son of Man coming in the clouds? Here it is, it's going to happen. And all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds with power and great glory. I'm telling you, I believe this is going to happen. You know why I believe it? He rose from the dead. Happy Easter. He's coming on the clouds. He said he was coming the first time and he came. He said he was going to go to the cross. He did. He said he was going to be buried for three days. He, he was. He said he was going to raise from the dead. He did. He proved it. He showed it. Certainly he's coming on the clouds. There's going to be a throne of judgment. But he said, if you will receive it, my price for your sin is sufficient. I can make you whole. I can give you life. And you can stand before me as friend and not as foe. He says in Luke 12, 40, you must be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour. You do not expect. Are you ready? Are you one of the many? He said, I came to give my life a ransom for many. Are you one of the many? Well, that leads us to my final point. What must we do since Jesus is alive? Since those three things we know are true because he's alive. Let's let Lee Strobel describe a little bit about what he did. This atheist, Yale lawyer, journalist, after investigating the life of Christ and the resurrection, he came to faith. And listen, I quote from his writings. As soon as I reached that monumental verdict, the implications of what I had discovered were obvious. If Jesus overcame the grave, he's still alive and available for me to personally encounter. If Jesus conquered death, he can open the door of eternal life for me too. If he has divine power, he has the supernatural ability to guide and transform me as I follow him. As my creator who has my best interests at heart, he rightfully deserves my allegiance and worship. You believe that? Is that your testimony? Does he have your worship? Does this risen Son of God and Son of Man have your allegiance? Is he worthy of that? He goes on and he says this, Because of the evidence, I now believed Jesus to be the Son of God, but to become his child, to become his child, to be one of those people, that he's bringing to heaven and bringing into the new heaven and new earth. And he's restoring to life to be one of those people. Listen to what he says. But to become his child, it was necessary for me to receive the free gift of forgiveness that he purchased with his life on the cross. So on November 8, 1981, I talked with God in a heartfelt and unedited prayer. I love that from a journalist. He probably wanted it to be right. 
He said, I don't know how to edit this prayer. I don't even know how to pray. I just know he's alive. And I need to talk to him. I admitted and turned from all of my wrongdoing and receiving the free gift of forgiveness and eternal life through Jesus. And then he quotes this verse that means a lot to him, and I want us to look at it, John 1, 12. What we can know, and here in this one verse is what we can do. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to what? Become children of God. Now, we are still kind of in a, a bit of a southern culture here and a bit of a Christian culture. We're in a university town. It, it's, it's an interesting place to live, an interesting blend of people here in Gainesville. But for the most part, Christianity is kind of the cultural norm for most people. So you're familiar with this story. But I just want to challenge you for a moment. You're familiar enough to believe intellectually. Your grandmother believed it. Your mom and dad believed it. It kind of runs in the family. It's your tradition. I believe in God. I believe Jesus was the Son of God. I believe this. But have you received it? Have you made it, uh, have you allowed it to really transform your life? Have, has there been a moment where you said, you know, Jesus, I believe all that stuff everybody says about you, but has there been a moment where you receive him? Because believing plus receiving, it's like we're swimming in a horrifying storm surrounded by sharks out in the ocean and there is a life preserver right beside us and we look at it and we're going, I believe in that life, save, that life preserver. It looks like it floats. It's currently floating. looks like it could hold me. I do believe that. My parents, they believe in that. My grandparents believe in the life preservers. Unless you receive it. Unless you receive it. Receiving is just an act of faith. It's turning to Christ, maybe even today, this Easter Sunday. Maybe you recognize that it is something that intellectually you knew about, but you've never incorporated it. You've never received it. You can do that today. It's a simple prayer of unedited faith. Uh, an unedited prayer like Lee Strobel. I invite you to do that. You say, well, how do I know? How do I know if I've done that? How do I know if I am a true follower of Jesus? If just coming to church doesn't make me one and just saying it doesn't make me one, how do I know? The Bible indicates that when you are born anew, when you come to life spiritually, when you have Christ in your heart, there will be proof of life. 
there will be proof of life. You will probably be able to be convicted in a court somewhere of being a Christian. The dash cam ought to have some evidence of life change. Jesus said things like this. By this, John 15, 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much, what? Fruit and so prove to be my disciples. I'm a follower. There ought to be some fruit. There ought to be some fruit of the Spirit. There ought to be some desire to grow. James 2.26 says it pretty strongly too. James says, For as the body apart from the Spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is what? There's no life. There's no life. You want proof of death, you can say you have faith, but if there's no corresponding works or fruit there's not some evidence that you want to grow and move and follow Christ in your life then, then, then look for proof of life in yourself if Jesus is alive and he comes into you and he uh, intersects with your spirit and you come alive and his spirit fills you there is a life in you and his life will bring life to you and you will show some signs of life and bear some fruit John the apostle put it this way 1 John 5 3 this is the love of God that we keep his what commandments and his commandments are not burdensome here's how I interpret that Nobody in this church in their right mind, including the pastor, would ever claim to be anywhere near perfection. No way. But I can tell you publicly that I, I want to obey his commandments. It, it is the desire of my heart. Do I, do I do it perfectly? No. But I want to be with brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to be a better witness of my faith and share Christ with my friends and my neighbors. I want to. Do I do it perfectly all the time? No, but I want to. His, his commandments are not something we just forget about as soon as we walk out the door. Proof of life. Jesus gave us proof that he's alive. Will you receive him this morning? Let's pray together with our heads bowed. Just a moment to ask yourself just a couple of questions. You see, I am not the fruit inspector of your life. I, I can't. I can't look, but you can. Is there any fruit in your life that you've received and believed and become a child of God? If you have doubts... You can make it certain this morning if you want, just like Lee Strobel, if you want, just ask Jesus right now. Pray. Ask him to forgive you of your sin. Turn from your sin and turn to Christ. Ask him to give you the gift of life. A new life restored that will go on forever. He paid the price, and his price, he paid it. It's sufficient 
if you will trust him this morning. I'm praying that no one would leave this room this morning without an assurance that they're walking out of here hand in hand with Christ. But you know here, I I know with a crowd this size, there are probably any number of you that are not ready to be so certain that he's alive. Maybe you're like Lee Strobel and you want some more evidence. You're going to do some investigating. Can I just tell you how grateful I am that you're there, that you're ready, that you're willing to look, you're willing to grapple with that question? Jesus said, seek me, knock, you'll find. If there's any way I can help you or or we as a church can help you in that journey, that's what we're all about. We love people with questions. And so we want to encourage you to keep looking. If you're not ready to make that decision today, you just keep looking, don't give up. He loved you enough to go to the cross for you. And I invite you to keep watching, keep looking, keep pursuing. Maybe one day, like Lee, you'll receive and believe. And believers, knowing that he is alive should just really energize us and free us up to live life uh, with joy and love and generosity, all of the different things. I'm praying that we leave this Easter um, more convinced but more in love with our Lord. Father, this is our invitation from you to respond. Thank you, Jesus, for revealing who you were and with such certainty giving us proof of life. Now, God, we ask that you just uh, move in our hearts and lives that we'd respond in obedience now as your church in Jesus' name.